I don't really talk about it a lot. Yeah. Which was the part that was like most frustrating for me. But so my sophomore year was the last time I played in Connecticut. And it was during the tournament. We played in Bridgeport. We mm-hmm. played against Oregon. It was a Sweet 16. And I got all these tickets, you know, for my family to come down to Bridgeport and watch you play. And I was the only player that didn't play that game. Wow. They cleared the bench except for me. And it was tough. I think that was probably the hardest part. It was like, wow. On this episode of From the Sidelines with Chanel Starling, I thought what better way to spend the holiday than to kick it with my cousin, Kaya Gillespie, who is absolutely killing it in women's college basketball at Florida State. She's currently averaging a double-double with 15 points and 10 rebounds, not to mention coming off a crazy performance at the Mohegan Sun against Michigan this past Sunday. And for those who have been following her since high school, this comes as no surprise to you. But the road to get there for her has not been that easy. We talk about her experience at Maryland, her decision to transfer to Florida State, and we talk about what her WNBA draft stock is looking like. So let's get to it. So I want to start the podcast with just saying that women's basketball is fixed and it's because, well, I only say that, I'm just kidding, but I only say that because on your homecoming game, coming back home, you got your first triple-double playing in the arena that you've got state championships in. So I kind of want to start talking about that. What was that like for you? (laughs) fixed that's a good word (laughs) because it is like how it was like a perfect it was a perfect story and it was a perfect ending no it was it's crazy though but I wouldn't say fixed I don't know I just feel like it worked for the for the game plan and I didn't plan on coming and having a triple double in reality I just wanted to win the game but I think a triple double just happened and then I think after that I was just like wow that's crazy at what point did you guys know that you were close to a triple double so like during the game so at halftime my close friend keeps track of like like my rebounds like she keeps a tally on her arm it's funny oh that's nice yeah i describe it as loyalty (laughs) and then she was like i was was like how many assists do i have and i think at halftime had four points three assists four rebounds and i was like oh wow i can i can really do something with that because I'm not gonna lie, assists are pretty hard to get. Right, because it does. It's oh, not a one person thing. Yeah, you gotta you gotta rely on your teammate right. to finish it, or you know, if they take too many dribbles, you don't get the assist. And then I just kept passing, and it wasn't a point where I was, you know, patting my stats. Like it was like finding people and just constantly continuing to find people. And then I think when we got to the fourth quarter, my coach was like, "Man, you just you you passing the ball really well today." And I was like, "Yeah, how many assists do I have?" And he was like because he didn't have the right stash at the time so then we got to the fourth quarter it was like four we had just got out the media timeout and we had four minutes left and he was like you got eight assists right now (laughs) and i was like all right because then it was to the point where i was like all right now i'm thinking about it because before i was just passing i'm like all right like i'm racking up assists but i was just playing you know what i'm saying but at that point i was like i was a little more conscious about it and i was like i think i can get this and then the ninth one i got was came within the offense like uh, i got it from nausea she passed to me in transition. I passed it back, and she had a layup. It was great, um, great for our momentum. And the last one was, I think it came with, like, two seconds left on the clock. I kind of threw it down the court, 
where she had to lay it up. Yeah. Which was what I called distasteful, but... Why? Why do you call it distasteful? Because, you know, you're not really supposed to. Like, when you're winning and the team stops playing, you're really not supposed to lay it up. So, like, do you, so you don't think they were... Do you think that they knew that you were about to, like... No, I, I definitely don't because the Michigan fans started to boo us. Like, because of that? Yeah, like, when you lay it up, like, at the buzzer, it's like top tier disrespectful in basketball like not at the buzzer but <clears throat> like you lay it up when there's like no time left and you're up like we were up at that point eight points when she laid it up we we ended up winning by 10 but the game was close so i feel like it's not really it's not like you guys are blowing them out the entire game right it's like we want to have a good cushion just in case right and it was a monumental like moment so right. i don't think it was and, I don't think it was and you baseball. and I know that, and right. the fans and Florida State fans that, but I don't think the Michigan fans knew that. And it, she laid it up, and they booed, but you I mean, know, I was happy. Yeah. I didn't care. Okay, so I talked about being home and like winning state championships at Mohegan Sun, but just so, just in case people don't know, you have three state championships there. What do you think your favorite? championship moment was because you have three not everybody can say they have three not everybody can say they have any uh, I think my favorite though was losing my freshman year that's I your think, favorite moment yeah I think that's what taught me how to be a winner and I think that's the one that taught me how to work hard and taught me you know what it's like to have to earn something because my freshman year I was a good freshman I was pretty decent I was known around Connecticut but I thought that I deserve that championship. And I still remember the team we played. We played Cog and Chog. <laughs> and, you know, it's even funnier because some of them probably don't even play basketball anymore. Mm. And that's the one where it stuck with me the longest because it's like you thought you earned that. Like yeah. I got there and I was like, this is my championship, just yeah. being here. Because Capital Prep has, ne- has never been that far. So I think that moment defined me who I wanted to be as a person. And ever since that game, I still talk about how I just never wanted to lose on that court again. And it'll be tough if I do get drafted because, you know, that's a, that's a team. And I know. You that can't is never, a team. Yeah, I, I can't. If I, if I do go there, I'm saying I can't never win. A, I can't ever lose a, a home game. So for anyone who doesn't know, let's just go down your resume really quick. So in high school, you were 2015 McDonald's All-American, three state championships, Connecticut Gatorade Player of the Year twice, 2014-2015. As a junior, you averaged 22, 10, three assists, and then you reached 1,000 points just in three years but finished at Capital Prep 2,208 points. So as far as your high school experience, how, how was that? I mean, my high school experience, I think I did everything a high school kid dreams of. Yeah. I scored a thousand points. I scored two thousand points. I got a thousand rebounds. I won three state championships. I was a McDonald's All American, the first Jordan Brand American All American class. I went to a Power Five Division One college team, fresh out of high school, who went to the Final Four twice prior to me getting there. And there's a lot of kids that want to do all the things that I've done. Uh, I don't think there's any other way that I could, you know put that together I think I've had one of the best high school careers that I've known Mm -hmm. for anybody in a long time so being that because you talked about going to um like a top tier school after being from Connecticut when you were were in high school UConn was like the school 
Like it was the big school. Yeah. And being from that, being that you're from Connecticut, did it bother you at all that you weren't recruited by UConn? No, I just think that they're a great program, and they have great players, mm-hmm. and they have a excellent coaching staff. And dwelling on where you could have could have went or should have went or could have been or should have been is just you know a waste of time. I think UConn went in a different direction, as did I. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't feel any way towards them or any way towards anybody, you know, who that, that recruited me. But I appreciate UConn's greatness and, you know, they have a dynasty. Like, that's yeah. a simple way to put it. Mm-hmm. Ten, ten national championships is hard to come by. Just one is, you yeah. know, hard to come by. Ten is just amazing. So um, I don't feel any way toward it. It just wasn't something that wasn't meant for me. Right. If it was, maybe I would have been there. But right. It just wasn't meant for me at the time. Okay, so do you think that, because from Capital Prep, Capital Prep is, a, for people who don't know, it's a smaller school. Right. But, I mean, in sports, they dominate in, bas- in boys' <coughs> basketball and uh, girls' basketball. They were dominating at the time because right. they were class S, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, so being that you were a big fish in a small pond and then you go to Maryland right. and now you're a small fish in a really, really big pond, how was that adjustment for you? Um, I think that was probably the hardest thing for me. Um, being at Maryland, I learned that, you know, being, like you said, being the big fish in a small pond of capital prep in small Connecticut was probably the worst thing for me going into college because when I got there, I thought I was still a big fish when there were already sharks there but you were but you were an all-american so right you know like you played with those right but it all-american in high school mcdonald's all-american has nothing on all-americans in college yeah there's i think about five that get named in college mm-hmm. whereas in high school there's 24 so it's like you become you're you're a big fish in this you know in high school and then when you go to college you become a shark because you're like five Mm -hmm. of the best players Mm -hmm. in the country compared to 400 other players so you become even bigger you know it definitely humbled me in an experience that I needed to make me a better person a better player and uh, all around just shape my circumstances because I thought you know I was owed something because I was a high school all-american but I was playing with players who were college all-americans players that were you know, top 10 draft picks. So when you, so when you got into college, you felt like, did you still have that same, you know, I'm that big player at my school. So did you come there with that type of attitude or were you like intimidated or were you confident in who you were? And that's what the, that's what made the adjustment so tough. No, for sure. I think that's my problem. I think that, (laughs) I think that I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fish or a big dog anywhere. Yeah. You know, like, it doesn't matter who you are or, you know, how good you are. Like, I feel like I have something to prove always. And I think that was probably my problem, my biggest downfall and, and maybe my my greatest achievement because I know what I expect from myself and I know what other people expect of me. And I won't let myself be average or I won't let myself just be. I, I didn't want to just be a freshman, you know what I'm saying? I, I wanted to take the shots. And I wanted to be the person to take the big shots, but it just wasn't that it wasn't my time for that at Maryland. Was there a moment where you realized that this just isn't like the system just just isn't for you? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, for me to think that I was the man and not earn it was probably the biggest thing that I learned. I mean, I didn't put the work in, like, the vets that were already there that put the work in and was like, I've established this, I've built this program. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. And that's what I see now playing. Like, I see some kids who didn't put any of the work in. Now that I'm someone who's, right, right, the vet who's been in college for five years, Mm -hmm. who took a redshirt year, like, now I see other kids that's like, and I look back at the young at young me, like uh, eighteen, nineteen years old. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta waste yeah. your time. Right, and like this just wasn't given to me. Like ex- I, exactly, right. like just like the rest of them. Like you don't, you know, it's very rare. It's a, it's very, very rare that any freshman comes in and makes an instant impact right away. I think that's probably the main thing I learned my two years at Maryland. So you think it's safe to say that was it you that as far as the decision to transfer was it you or was it the system that it just didn't fit or was it both I think it was everything there's a bit of my family being frustrated because they knew my potential and then I think it was just time for me to be somewhere new and I don't really talk about it a lot yeah which was the part that was like most frustrating for me but so my sophomore year was the last time I played in Connecticut and it was during the tournament we played in Bridgeport. We played mm-hmm. against Oregon. It was a Sweet 16. And I got all these tickets, you know, for my family to come down to Bridgeport and watch you play. And I was the only player that didn't play that game. Wow. It cleared the bench except for me. And it was tough. I think that was probably the hardest part. It was like, wow. Like. But, you know, I try not to, you know, dwell on the situation. And, you know, I give the coach the benefit of the doubt. Maybe right. it just wasn't meant for me. But. I think that was kind of the hardest for me, and that one—that's the one I think that hit me the hardest. So, because even when you were in Maryland, though, like you, your first game, you killed it, though your first game. So, it just—do you just think it wasn't? It just wasn't meant to be. Like, was there? Do you think there was any? Not shade, but do you think there was anything like something that like you just didn't know, or do you think it just wasn't where you were just supposed to be? Yeah, because I mean, my freshman year I started the season and I think I got a little too comfortable and I felt like people felt like I didn't earn that spot and I started to you know probably take some shots I shouldn't have (laughs) that they felt I shouldn't have and do some things that I probably shouldn't have that they felt and that's when I kind of started to fade back and I stayed my freshman year even though I didn't play toward the end because I thought maybe my sophomore year would get better. And I stayed because it's hard, like, freshmen. A lot of people feel like freshmen feel like they earned something that they have no right feeling like they earned. And then I stayed another year. And then my sophomore year had got progressively worse. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe this isn't just isn't meant for me. Like, maybe I was, like, not that I wasn't supposed to be there, but maybe this just wasn't the right fit for me. What and do you mean progressively? I mean. Like, as far as your skill or just the... Like the situation. Like so, my soft, my freshman year, I didn't. I, I'll be honest. I didn't, I really didn't put in any work. Like I, I was like, oh, I'm a starter. Like I'm, I'm good. But then my sophomore year, I realized that I wasn't playing as much, and I actually like decided to go harder, and it wasn't getting any better for me. And I was playing less than I did my freshman year, and I was a better player at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's when I realized. I said maybe this. You know, maybe I just don't fit in this system. Right. I just don't fit this school's idea for what they need me to be. Mm-hmm. And I just try to just, like, look at it like, you know, it's just time for me to move on. And I did that. So. 
And then you moved to, so you went to Florida State, where you are now. Right. How was that transition? Because I know you had to, you couldn't play the first year. Yeah. So what was that like? And I think besides the two years at Maryland, I think my, my red shirt was probably the hardest because at least at Maryland, like, I knew I was, I got to travel with the team. Right. And maybe I wasn't going to play, but, you know, I was still on the bench. I got to be, you know, exuberant and I got to be fun. And, you know, that's why the fans love me because somebody make a shot and I'd be doing jumping jacks or right. something crazy like that or push-ups or whatever. So but my red shirt year, I only got to go to the home games. Mm-hmm. And when they got to travel, you know, the team's getting closer and everybody's, you know, getting to know each other and I'm just left back. And it was hard because it's like, you know, you don't have any games to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And every day in practice is just like, this is going like to be a, my game. Yeah. And and I yeah. saw practice like, these are my games. Like when we had a scrimmage, I'd play with the scout guys because we practice against guys. Mm-hmm. I'd play with the, the guys and that would be my game. Like I'm shooting shots. Like I'm just having a great time. I didn't want practice to end. Yeah. But the other players are like, man, like we're just so tired. You know, we have a game. Yeah. And now that I'm on the team, I see that. But when I was a redshirt, I'm just like, man, you guys don't want to play. Like, you guys aren't into this. But that was all I had. Right. So when they left, I would just go to the gym and just put up a bunch of shots. So, like, how was that? Because you're coming from high school where you, like, you were the top player. Right. And then you go to Maryland. You can play, but you're sitting on the bench. You play well when you play, but right. you're still on the bench. And then now you transition to Florida State where it's like, they want me here. I can play, but I cannot play. Did you ever feel like, you know, like, I like I don't want to play basketball anymore. I don't want to do this. Like, was there ever a time where you had to kind of, like, lift yourself up? Yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest that my red shirt, I struggled a lot because they didn't know what kind of player I was going to be, what kind of person, because I was doing schoolwork, but I wasn't doing my best schoolwork. Mm-hmm. Um, I was almost ineligible, honestly, and, like, there's no motivation. You're right. not playing for anything. You're just here. And I look back and I mean, I don't I don't get frustrated with myself because they don't know what it's like to just be having to practice every day. Like you don't have any games to look forward to. You don't have anything to look forward to. I just wanted to go home like I wanted to go home for Thanksgiving. I couldn't want to go home early for Christmas and I got to do that. But other than that, like and you don't want to wish their season away because it's still your you know, it's still your squad, it's still your team. But like you're like, man, I just want to get into next year. I just want to play. But it's hard. And. I, I struggled a lot. Like, there were some days where I was just like, man, I I don't even know if I want to be here anymore. Right. So, because there's a lot of, um, I know I talked to a lot of, like, athletes who didn't, even people who didn't, like, make it to college or didn't make it to, like, a professional level. How did you, because you said you, you know, you were almost, an, like, an eligible, what was it that made you pull it together or what made you not stop? Like, what was it? Because everybody doesn't have the same story. Like, some people, they are just going to be ineligible, and that's how their story ends. So what was it that made it not the end of your story? I think it's two things. My coach, my my head coach, Coach Sue, uh, just kept on pushing me. I think she's so instrumental in the success that I've had thus far in my career. And the second thing was I always told myself, this is what you asked for. And that's what I tell myself now. Like, I was at a team where I wasn't playing, or, like, even now, like, now looking back, like, on my red shirt, like, I was at a team where I wasn't playing, and I was frustrated all the time, and now I think about the expectations they have for me, I think about the minutes that I play, I think about how I need to protect my body, Mm -hmm. how I need to be a better leader, and I think 
this is everything that I've asked for. I said, I can't fold now because, mm-hmm. you know, you was taking it easy back right. then and you was having a good time doing nothing. Right. But I'm like, this is everything that I've, I've wanted. I was like, I've wanted to have a team that depends on me mm-hmm. just like I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I've wanted to feel that pressure. And it's funny now because I say sometimes I don't feel it because I don't. Even being back home in front of all those people, like I've never, I never felt the pressure. And I, and I, like I said, I don't. We we played three top ten teams this year, and we beat all of them by ten plus points, yeah. ten or ten plus. Mm-hmm. So like, when I say I don't feel pressure, I don't feel it. We might lose some games this season, which is fine. Like every team's gonna lose a game or whatever. But folding under pressure or feeling pressure is just something I don't feel. So that's what's kept me going and realizing that everything that I've asked for is everything that I've wanted, and this is everything that I've wanted. It's funny that you mention that because, like, I think it has a lot to do with confidence as far as, like, you know the type of player you are. Like, you know that, you know, when you get on the court, whenever that is, like, you know, when you're redshirting, it's like, I know when I get on the court, I'm going to take this team to the next level. Like, I know what I'm capable of. So how do you remain confident and how do you remain sharp? And that's for anything. That's for anyone doing anything, whether it's sports, whether it's acting, whether it's Art, whatever they're like, what is how do you remain confident and sharp even though you're not in the position you want to be in? I mean, I think it's because I know myself, I know what I'm capable of, and even at Maryland, like maybe I wasn't playing, but sometimes they put me on scout team and I got to show my true colors. I'm like, this is what you know, this is who I am. And it's funny because like, I have a little hashtag and I say build for it, and I, I mean, there's no other way to describe myself. I honestly feel like I'm built for certain moments. And, you know, sometimes it comes off as arrogant. But when you put the work in and, you know, you know yourself as well as I know myself and you're confident and your confidence doesn't come off as arrogant, like, you know who you are and you know what you're capable of and you know what you can do. And and I think that's the problem with some people. Like, they're not confident in who they are as a person. Right. And they don't know what they can bring to the table. And they don't know, like you know, how much they can help someone without feeling like they're either overstepping boundaries or feel like they sound arrogant or cocky. So, and, and I hate both of those words because yeah. real people know themselves right? and they know what they can do. So, and you mentioned the hashtag. So built for it. Cause I see that on every, every post, every social media, like when you post and all that, what did that come from or how did you come up with that? It's funny, like, I think my sophomore year in Maryland, like, I just... Oh, it came while you were in Maryland. It, it did, because it was something that I needed to push myself forward to, like, keep going. I was like, listen, like, you're built for this journey. Like, you're built for it. Like, you're, you're good. Like, and, and it's what kept me happy and kept me confident and just kept me to try to be around the team. And it's really hard, like, really, really hard to want to be something that's just not happening at the time. And I think that hashtag kept me locked into the season. It kept me locked into my teammates. And it kept me wanting to be there until the end of the season. And being built for it was, like, just boring for me. I was just like, wow. Like, it's so simple, but it's just everything that I feel all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, if you feel like you're about to fold, you're like, listen, you got to be built for it. You know what I'm saying? So it's just real simplistic, but it's very important to me. So I think, cause I've been watching you forever. So like when I watched you on Sunday, 
it was like a different, like I saw like a different type of like confidence from you. You were screaming for the ball. You, when you knew you were opening, you knew like you can take your girl, like you were telling your teammates, you know, give me the ball. And then when you had the ball, you were aggressive with it, whether it was passing, whether it was you know, scoring. And then when you would make the tough shots, you would let out a scream or you would like let out, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a difference in your confidence. What do you think caused that? Or do you agree? Would you say that there's a different, you have a different confidence now than you had in a year? Yeah, I think that there's a certain, you know, swagger about myself now. But like, even then, it's just, I want my teammates to feel like they can have it too. You know, they make a tough shot. They should celebrate. You know, they get an M1, they should celebrate. Because as proud as I am of myself, I'm even prouder of my teammates. And I'm even prouder of the people that are around me. Like, I want this year to be so special for us. And it's been so special thus far. But we can't celebrate, you know, these. we we can celebrate these small victories, but we can't dwell on them. Mm -hmm. We want a really really good game on Sunday, but we got to keep pushing forward. We start conference this Sunday. And things like that, but I want them to celebrate and I want them to be happy and just appreciate the here and the now because something that's so significant to me is like we'll never be the same team ever again. Like right. next year we'll never be the same mm-hmm. team. We'll be gone. And even last year coming to this year, like I knew I had another year, but like that last year's team isn't the same team as this year. Right. So they should celebrate the victories now and they should celebrate everything that's happening now. And just be excited. Like, you hit a big three, like, you should celebrate. Let out a scream. Like, let the other team know, like, you're here. And I want people to understand that Florida State is here. I'm not saying, like, yeah, we're the best team in the country. Like, I'm saying we're going to do our best to be the best team in the country. I mean, but, I mean, speaking of that, you guys are undefeated. You guys are 12-0. and 0, And right now you're ranked, what, eight? Eight. So, and I feel like you guys are kind of slept on. Now, I don't know if it's because people are so used to, you know, the Yukons and the yeah. Baylors and the Stanford. Like, you For know, sure. We're so used to, like, those big names. Like, you'll never forget the, right. like, Candace Wiggins. You'll never forget the Maya Moores. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like we're just dwelling on that. And I feel like women's college basketball right now is a complete opposite of what men's college basketball is right now. Because right now, nobody wants to be number one in men's. You're right. Nobody does. You're right. It's a curse. So I feel like you guys are kind of the underdogs, which is weird. And and because you guys are beating everyone that they put in front of you. Why do you think you guys are slept on? I think it's because we're a program that traditionally has been slept on. I think Coach Sue has won her fair share of Coaches of the Year, but a lot of people aren't going to put her in, you know, their top five for best coaches because it's hard to do that when you don't have any championships. But if you ask me, Coach Sue is a top five on any list because she's a player's coach. You know, she appeals to her players. She knows each and every one of us in and out, and she knows how to get the best out of us. Personally, like for myself, she knows sometimes I like to pout, and she Mm -hmm. won't let me. Yeah. She knows I'm the leader on this team, and she won't allow me to be average. Right. Like, even after this game, even after the game I had Sunday, she's going to challenge me to, so how can I be better than that? And I think that's what makes her a great coach, and I think that's what makes her different. Because, I don't know, some coaches might say, like, that that was your peak. You got a triple-double? Okay, that's your peak. But, like, she's like, no, you can go even higher than that. And I think I was ranked the 21st best player in the country. She's like, that's not good enough. You need to be number one. Right. And I think that's what makes her different, and that's what separates her. And I think, you know, that's 
that's why we're slept on and I mean it's fine you know to be slept on because you don't get you know I don't think there's as much pressure but I just feel like our time's gonna come mm-hmm. we can't worry about the rankings right. we can't worry about how people feel about us it's all opinionated yeah. honestly and we just gotta win games so do you guys talk about that like as far as when you guys like the rankings come out or like you know the top players do you guys talk about that I, I think it's a little bit of both I think it's like Man, we're twelve and zero. We should move up because there's right. teams that's lost games that yeah, are ahead of us. Th- it is, and I was just like, or oh. teams that have close games right. with, with with worse teams. And you've played, played a lot of ranked teams, right? So it, it's a little bit of both, but <clears throat> honestly, I feel like we need to just be focused on the big picture. Mm-hmm. The big picture is winning conference, and then the bigger bigger picture is going to a final four, and then the biggest picture is playing and winning a national championship. Um. And we can't listen to the noise, you know. People saying, man, you guys are so good, but you guys don't get the recognition, which is always fine. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all fine. But we have to understand that we're playing. Like, we have to play for each other, and we have to play for the here and now. We can't look forward to the ACC tournament because the further we look, you know, that's the faster my season ends. Yeah, but, I know. <laughs> but, no, but we really got to, like, be focused and locked in on what's happening now because there's teams in conference that want to beat us. Right. I mean, and there's teams now. I mean, we're not playing a non-conference yeah. schedule anymore. We're playing teams that want to beat us. Because you guys are the team to beat. Right. Because you guys haven't lost. So it was like, I want to give them their first exa- loss. That and Because that might put them on the map. Exa- that and we're, we're a resume building win. Yeah. Like, a team that's not really that good beats in a top 10 you know program they beat us you know that that helps the resume it helps them get in the ncaa tournament that's right. what everybody's fixated on right. so like that's what we have to just focus on us the only you know we, we can only beat ourselves at this point so as far as the so would you say that that is your that's one thing that you haven't done in i'm because i'm trying to think about anything you haven't done in your career so far that you want to accomplish would you say winning a NCAA championship is your like one one accomplishment that you haven't that you want to, or is there another one? Yeah, I mean for team goals for sure. Because at Maryland, I mean I did well, I was a part of a two time conference winning team. Right. I do have two Big Ten conference rings. Right. And you know going to the Final Four and winning a national championship is definitely something I'd like to do. Being as that I won three in high school but yeah and then just for myself like I just wanted people to see that I'm a good player too that's all because and that's funny because I read something and they were just like after your triple double they were just like oh Kai Gillespie first triple double WNBA stock just went up and I'm like looking at it like I don't think it just I don't think it just went up I mean I think it helped I think it complemented what she has done so far, if you look at, you know, if you're watching basketball and if you look at what she's done, so how do you feel about all the work you've put in and now, you know, your name is really out there? Does it bother you that people feel like your stock just went up or, you know, now that now you're a great player for people who aren't from Connecticut? Yeah, I mean, I think it helps. But I think, like, in terms of my stock, I think it separates me from other players because it's hard to find a, a bigger player that can shoot, that can pass, or that can shoot. Come on, talk to him. Or that can score, you know, and pass. And I think that was something that I showed, you know, this game, this past game on Sunday. Like, tennis is for, for post player. Yeah. That's, that's like, NBA life. Right. Like, I think about, you know, Jokic 
on yeah. Denver. Like, you the know. Pa- and the passes were, like, they weren't, like, if you see the last pass, yeah, it's a little layup. But right. the other passes were, like, no, like, I have defenders on me. That's and I I'm know saying. that this person's open. Like, it's more right. of a, I know how to read right. the defense, not exactly. I can just pass the ball. Right. And that's all I'm poised and knowing how to play. That's knowing basketball. That's poised. That's knowing where my teammates will be. That's practice. Like, it's all that. And it's it's important. Because some post players can't pass out of a out of a triple team, right? Double team, triple team, like all that, and like you think, look at the player. Like we're not talking about the NBA, but look at the players in the NBA that have triple doubles. LeBron James runs the point, right? Luka Doncic runs the point. You know, like other players, like they all run their point guard. Can cards. you run the point? I mean, <laughs> I could try. But, you know, we ain't running no plays. Right, right, right. But, you know, this is what I'm saying. Like, you look at Jokic, he's a different center because he can pass. Right. I mean, and we're number 15, but, you know, right, he can shoot, right. he can pass. He can get, like, he's patient. And I think that's what separates me. And I think that's what's important in my draft stock rising because it's like you can find a player that, a post player that can also pass and stretch and step out, shoot the three. And, like, I think that was the first game I could actually show, like, I can come off the dribble a little bit. So I think it was important for me. Okay, so you talk about, because you just said number 15, I'm looking at your chain. And I don't remember you ever wearing another number. Yeah. Where did it come from? Why? How did you choose it? Yeah, I think it was, it was a little bit of, you know, I love Carmelo. God, yeah. I, I kind of thought it was yeah. that, but you know. I love Carmelo. <laughs> Denver Mello is my guy, 15, before he went to, you know, New York, guy number seven. Yeah. And now he's at Portland, Denver Mello, double zero. Denver Mello or LeBron? You had to pick one. I'm gonna go with LeBron, okay. but I still I love. Wanted, I just yeah. wanted to try. No, but I still love Denver Mello and uh, Candace Parker. Also, one of my favorites. She, that's her USA number. So it was different than three because everybody's yeah. number three. Yeah, everybody. KG15 just goes all together. Just mm, you know. Yeah, it just comes all together. As far as because we were talking about your WNBA stock. Where do you see yourself as a WNBA player? Like who? Who would you if you can? Who would you compare your style of play to, past or present? I think Candace Parker. I mean, um, she's more have shown that she can go off the dribble a little better than I can. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to develop that into my game more in in college because I did in high school, mm-hmm. but more in college. But I definitely like Candace Parker. She can pass. She can shoot. She can dribble. Um, she can make plays. She's smart. She's a team leader. And she's one of the best players, in my opinion have ever come to the NBA so I model a lot of my game after her I think she's an amazing player and you know I'm excited to either be teammates with her come on or, or play against play her. against her I you would know love what I'm saying? to see that yeah you know what they say around the time you're around the time that you're you know idols become your rivals yeah. but it's, it's all that so I'm excited so as far as what's next for you because we talked about WNBA and draft how is that process for you because the WNBA it kind of clashes with the tournament right so what what do you think is next for you or how does that what does that look like I think right now I'm focused on you know having a successful college career and being everything that my team needs so right now I'm focused on team first then my career or whatever's next second and then following that I just want to be I'm hoping that I put in enough work or that I keep putting enough work to be drafted or be noticed that a team feels like they need me in order to take the next mm-hmm. step in being successful as an organization. And once that happens, you know, I don't know how I would feel because yeah. coming from not playing and then completely doing a 180 and going in a different direction and making myself, you know, draft worthy and all that, 
I think that'll be one of the biggest accomplishments I've completed thus far in my basketball playing career. Because high school, I mean, I was really good. And to come to college, the next level, and things not go the way that I expected them to go, and then completely like turn it around and become a draft pick where people feel like we need this person for their organization, I think that'll be the most important thing that I'm proud of, at least for myself. All right, let's switch gears a little bit as far as WNBA. Um, what are your thoughts on WNBA players having to play elsewhere or having to leave the league because it's just not valued enough? And I'm asking you as someone who looks to be in the WNBA or who might be this time next year in the WNBA. So, like, what are your thoughts on it? How does that work as far as what is your thought process? Because it might be something that you're doing. Right. Um, It's tough. I mean, honestly, between me and you, and everybody else like I don't plan on going overseas and and I have no desire to it's hard and I've talked to a lot of people who say like it's really not all that's cracked up to be and you mean like people who choose to do that over the WNBA people who choose to do both both like it's just like I've talked to so many people where it's just like it's either frustrating or like you're in a different place you're not around your family you're hours away like I just like I'm hours away in Florida and I love my family to death and I've I've been able to work around not being as close because Maryland was only five hours away they right. can come to any game that they wanted mm-hmm. to but you know being in a different country across the world it's like they don't know what's going on with me and I, I, I've talked to a lot of people and they just don't seem happy. And I've, you know, I think I've, you know, been real with myself to figure out that, like, if I get drafted and, and I'm blessed enough to be able to play in the WNBA, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And then on the off side, like mm-hmm. the off season, I'll be able to coach. And that's what I want to do in my life. And I want to be around the game of basketball and I want to do everything I can to be, like, involved in everything. But... If teams are like, listen, we only want you, we want you to play the whole year all the time, then I think I've I realized that you know my time is up. Yeah, and I think I'm okay with that, and I realized that with myself, and I know what I want to do in my life, and I'm confident with it. So I want to play and coach in the off season. So what do you think has to be done in order to get the WNBA the expo- the exposure that they need or to succeed? Like is there something that needs to be done? Like is there something that needs to change? Like what can be done? Cuz even watching it, watching the Mystics play a playoff game and it's right. at Georgetown University there, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're caught like it's just I just feel like it's ridiculous. Like, OK, you the stadium is having renovations, but this is a professional team. Like, exactly. there's no reason why. Yeah. You know, and it's frustrating as like a woman. Yeah. You know, guys, they get it, too. But, right. you know, as a woman, it's frustrating. And I'm asking you as a woman who actually plays mm-hmm. basketball, you know, like, what can we do or what is it that's missing from the WNBA? I think that like it's simple, like people have to invest in women. And it's all it's funny because I always use this analogy like if you look at Steph Curry, he is and I mean and no disrespect, but he's like the epitome of women's basketball. He's fundamental, he doesn't really dunk, he can dribble, he can shoot, he can pass. He shoots threes, women's basketball, women shoot threes. They can dribble, women can dribble, and women can pass. And the men say, Oh, we want dunks, we want people to, you know, dunk on each other, but Steph Curry was one of the favorites. Two time MVP, unanimous MVP, was one of the favorites. And he doesn't dunk. Like, yeah. he's not dunking on 
Joel Embiid, you know what I'm saying? He's shooting threes. Like, he's he's making passes. He's dribbling through people. Like, women do that. Sue Bird does that. Diana Taurasi, Skylar Dickens. Like, women do that. And people need to see that. And women's basketball is really good. Or you have Elena Deladon, who's amazing. Like, right. Chrissy Tarver, who's hitting, like, I'm talking game winners. Right. Like, over three people. Same thing Steph Curry's doing. Klay Thompson, like, he can dunk. Yeah, they all can dunk. And there's women that can dunk. But, like, it's what people want to see. People want to see good basketball. People making shots. And if anybody watched this year's finals, like, they were amazing. Yeah. The Connecticut Sun and the Washington Mystics went back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, great basketball to watch. And if you're a true basketball fan, you would know that, like, you're missing out on something great. And, like I said, you just need to invest in women. You just give them a chance. And so- I think that's what's going to change people. So do you think it's more of people not valuing women playing basketball? Like you don't think it's any, oh, we need to get the, like the marketing needs to be better. You think it's as easy as, or as simple as people just need to value like women playing basketball. Yeah. Like I I think it's, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think there needs to be better marketing. I think women need to have better exposure because there's women who are playing games and they have high school games boys high school games that are on national television rather than women's games i think there needs to be you know more an investment like nba players need to be more invested into women's basketball and i think that like people just need to give it a chance Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying i don't think women's basketball is a specific kind you know appeals to a certain kind of people because it's still basketball if you're a fan you watch anything like myself like i watch anything i watch women's college professional men's nba big three like it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter like if you're really into the sport it doesn't matter who's playing you're gonna watch it you want to learn and everything so i think that everybody they just need to be afforded the opportunity and you know, ignorant players like Gilbert Arena say, you know, women need to be, you know, more appealing to play basketball or for people to want to watch it. And I'm just like, if you're really into the sport, you know that, you know, women play the best basketball. Mm-hmm. It's fundamental. They set right. screens, you know, they run plays, they take good shots, you know, people, you know, defend, box out, rebound, but you know, people want to see dunks and, and, but, but their favorite player, Steph Curry, who doesn't really dunk. Or or James Harden, who right. just dribbles, 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 and takes a shot, right? So, or shoots a bunch of free throws. So, you know, it's 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 in, it's interesting to hear people's opinions, but it's it's you know, whatever. So speaking of um, the NBA, so Christmas basketball, because uh, this is Chris, today's Christmas Eve. So Christmas basketball on um, Christmas NBA is tomorrow. And there are a bunch of games. They're okay. Uh, uh, So we have the Lakers. I want to get your basketball picks. First game is Lakers-Clippers. Don't be biased because your guy is not even playing. So He's playing. I got the the ESPN alert. They're both playing. (laughs) I got it. It's the groin. So don't worry about it. No, they're good. They're not going to be 100%. AD and LBJ are both playing, people. Kawhi is, let me tell you. Listen, Kawhi is on load management. Kawhi and Uncle Dennis. No, no. Kawhi is on load, (laughs) load management. He's taking days off, so I'm going with the Lakers. So because, you're going with the Lakers. Yeah, okay. always. Like a blowout Lakers or no, a good I'm, game? No, I think I'm getting. I think we're getting a good game for sure. Are, wait, are you a Lakers fan or you're a LeBron fan? So I'm, wherever he goes, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm a LeBron. So fan. you were a Cleveland fan last year. Cleveland Heat, LeBron, okay, all that. Okay. You know, we go everywhere. Okay, cool. Same Vincent, same Marys, more than a game, all that. All of it, cool. Sierra Canyon, <laughs> all that. All right, got it. Bucks seventy sixers. Uh, I like Giannis. I like him a lot, but I'm also a big fan of Ben Simmons, big guard. But I, I don't know. I think the Bucks has a slightly better team. I'm gonna go with the Bucks. 
Okay. And speaking of the Bucks, so how did you feel about Giannis doing the um like he was like I'm the king now? Yeah. As a LeBron fan, what did that did that make you angry? Did you understand it? Like was it listen get where he's coming from? Like what when you're a ball player and you're playing for something like when you, you you playing ball, it doesn't matter. That king stuff that it don't matter who you are, you know, you gotta you know, you gotta get it how you live. So like if you feel like he's a king now, he got to go on and prove it. He right. He's the reigning MVP. I think he's averaging like 20 points. He's developed three-point shot. You know, his free throw percentage is either higher or lower or whatever. He, I mean, he's doing his thing. So, Do you think the Bucks can, like, go to the finals and win it? I mean, I think they have a good chance. But, you know, we'll have to see because they did get sweep by, swept by Toronto did. last year. So. So do you think okay, so you have the Bucks beating seventy sixers for yeah, Christmas though, right? Yeah, for okay. sure. Um Celtics Raptors. That was that's not a good game. Yeah, no, it's not. But I'm gonna go with the Celtics because I think that they've been playing particularly well since I've seen. I don't know if Gordon Hayward's back, I don't know if Kemba's back. I know he had a neck injury a couple weeks ago. Um, but they got Jason Tatum who's been playing exceptionally well. And they got Jalen Brown, they have a really good young core. So we'll see how they put it together. Yeah, that's. I don't think I like that matchup. Yeah. That's weird. Rockets, Warriors. The, the, yeah, these are yeah we, we got the Rockets. Warriors yeah. might be the worst team in the league, I think. They're do like 3-12. I think I asked this to everyone three that and 17. comes on. Do you think that the Warriors can be the old Warriors once they get Steph back, once they get Clay? Like, I'm talking about next year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, it's hard, like, Draymond by itself. Steph Curry with a broken hand. Clay Thompson coming off an of ACL tear, mm-hmm. like, it's hard, but I think that once they get that main core back, because Draymond Green isn't doesn't have a two hundred twenty million dollar contract for nothing, right? And Steph Curry doesn't have you know the same thing, and Clay doesn't either. You know these guys are all stars and a two time MVP, one unanimous. So I think that once they get that core back, that's all I'm playing. They know how to lead these young guys. Mm-hmm. It's hard to lead them from the bench, right? When they're not out there playing mm-hmm. with them. So I think once they come back, they're gonna be a really great team. And then the last one is um, Pelicans Nuggets. I mean, Nuggets, I guess. The Nuggets are pretty good. I mean, Pelicans are garbage. We want to see Zion play. He hasn't played yet. And I like Jokic because he's, yeah, like I said, he's number 15. And, and I like him because he plays at his pace. Yeah. Sometimes I get sped up, but that dude always plays at his pace. He doesn't care who's guarding him or what's happening. So that's what I like about him. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll introduce a new segment and you'll be the first person to participate in the new segment let's do it (laughs) okay so for the last segment not only are you the first woman guest on my podcast but you're going to be the first guest to have participated in the guidelines um from the sidelines so basically i just want to know if you had to choose or give one guideline for people who are trying to get off the sideline, trying to um, navigate and be the best at whatever they choose to be, what would be your guideline? Like, what would be one guideline you would give them? I mean, I think, you know, giving somebody advice for someone who is in my position, more of to get off the bench into the game, Mm -hmm. I think I would tell them to figure out what their niche is. I would tell them they need to figure out what makes them different, what makes them special. I think it's important to know what you bring to the table. And I think there's a lot of players that don't know what that what they bring. I think when I was at Maryland, I thought I brought scoring. But people didn't agree with me. They didn't agree with that. I went somewhere else, and they thought 
that's what you bring. And my coach tells me all the time, like, in order for us to be successful, we need you to score, we need you to rebound, we need you to be a leader. And I think that's who I am. That's what I am. And I just think that's why I didn't work at Maryland. Or maybe that just wasn't what they needed. Mm-hmm. Like, she told me all the time, like, I need you to bring energy, I need you to defend and rebound. And I tried to do that as best as I could, and I did my best, but it just wasn't good enough. And I think transferring, sitting out, and developing my game, and finding who I was. And then my junior year, I mean, I led the team in points, rebounds, and I think three-point, you know, field goal makes. And then this year, coming into this year, I realized that in order for us to be successful, I need to score. And when I get double-teamed or triple-teamed, I need to be able to find people and pass the ball really well. And I need to be able to make shots, and I need to be able to lead. So I think, you know, my best advice for people at this point is to understand, like, you need to find something that you're really, 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 really good at. Not things that you are decent in or okay in. I think you need to find something that separates you from everybody else and gives the coach a reason why you deserve to play and why you deserve to be out on the court or from the sideline Mm -hmm. and get into the game. So, you know, if you want to be a great player, you got to figure out what makes you different. Because a lot of people are the same, but what separates you from everybody else? Um, that's my advice, and I think I've figured it out thus far, but I think figuring out on the next level is what's going to be a challenge for me, and I'm excited to figure out what that's going to be. And I think that's really good because even though what you said is, like, for you and you play basketball, but I think that can anyone can take that advice. Like, whether right. you are a teacher, right. whether you're a coach, whether right. you paint, whatever it is, like, find what you're good at, right. whatever you do, whatever right. it is, whether it's basketball, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be, like, find out what you're good at and make sure that you are great at it. And I think, right. like, anyone, whether you play basketball or not, I think that's good advice for anyone. Right. So that was good. Thank you. So... Let everyone know where they can follow you and all your social media and all that good stuff. Okay, so my Twitter is K-I-H-1-5-G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E. Kaya15 Gillespie on Twitter. And then Instagram is just K-I-A-H-G-1-5, Kaya G15. So follow me, show me some love, and <laughs> show my cousin some love too because it's a great, great Thank podcast. You. And, then hopefully, and I'm like, so happy to be here. In a few months. You'll be a superstar. Oh, no. I, I mean, you're a superstar that. now. You're a superstar now, but <laughs> we'll, we'll have be, another conversation. We'll be somewhere. You'll, you'll be, be on, on a, TV. You'll be on another level. Yeah, I hope so. And I'll have to, like, talk to your publicist who talks to someone else. You have my number. No, you have my number. You always reach out to me firsthand. But, yeah, this was good. Um, so I think that everyone will learn a lot from what you said. Like, you said a lot of great stuff for people who, even if they're not even into basketball, like yeah, what man. you said if can you're a regular person relate. find your niche yeah it can relate to everything find so what you love good. find what makes you different and you'll make a difference i promise don't try to be like anybody else find what you are excellent at and my cousin is excellent at this <laughs> thing <funny>. so <laughs> yeah find it <laughs>